This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. There's nothing more frustrating than putting hours of time and money into a project only to watch it lay dormant or unused. And yet we see this happening constantly with brand landing pages and websites, the online face of a company that are left neglected and forgotten for long stretches of time. So how can marketers break the mold and turn their websites into a long lasting and user-friendly experience? That's a question that Anne Stefanik says her clients come to her with daily. The website has become a marketing decision more than an IT decision. 80% of our clients tend to be director of marketers, CMOs. And what happens is, is they come to us and they say, we need a real specialist to make sure that our website works, making sure that not only are we getting leads, but we're getting qualified leads and we're moving them through the sales funnel as fast as possible. Anne is the CEO and founder of Canopy Studios, a web agency designed around helping marketers create beautiful websites through adaptive execution. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Anne discusses specific growth strategies for how marketers can turn their websites into ROI machines. Plus, she explains why search engines and search functions continue to be undervalued assets. And she details common mistakes she sees on most websites that marketers listening right now might want to check for. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today I am joined by special guest, Anne. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, excited to talk about everything that you have going on at Canopy and, and obviously get into your background. Um, so let's get started. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Sure. My actual first job out of university was in experiential marketing. And I worked at an agency where I got lots of brand experience with big Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble, Daimler Chrysler, and the Bat. And soon after, as I kind of left the experiential marketing, I pivoted myself into green real estate marketing. So I spent quite a bit of time in the agency space early on. And when the economy crashed around 2007, 2008, I found myself without a job. And that's when I fell into tech, into the web development space and more into the web marketing space. And flash forward to today, tell me about being CEO of Canopy. Yeah. So at Canopy, we're mission-driven and our mission is to create impact via web experiences. We really create beautiful, human-centric, data-informed websites for clients that want to make a positive impact. And what we do is we start at the core by taking good care of our employees, and which branches out naturally to good customer experience and allows us to serve our mission-driven clients with excellence. The background of the name itself comes from my love of tree houses. We feel that tree houses need to be customized to their environment. They're unique, beautiful pieces of architecture that really need to be thoughtfully built to sustain. And the canopy ultimately provides that protection for the tree house and the rainforest. I actually grew up in Costa Rica and have land in the southern zone to build tree houses. And part of canopy's originally ince- original inception was to facilitate building tree houses. And now it just happens to be that not only have I built some tree houses, we're also focused on really building those websites for mission-driven clients. Yeah. So, so tell me, uh, tell me about your, your types of clients. 
Yeah, so we at Canopy focus on strategy, design, and development, and specifically our kind of our niche, our specialty is in support. And support is way more at Canopy than security updates and maintenance. It's what we call continuous website improvement. So often when a marketer, you know, they get a website, they do all this work, they launch it. A smart marketer knows that they can't leave it alone. Long gone are the days of launch it and leave it. Now it's about of continuously maintaining and nurturing that website so it ultimately becomes not only a, a vehicle for success, but it becomes a place where if you, you put a dollar into it, you can get three back. So we focus our specialty really at Canopy is working with clients, working with marketing teams to elevate their website, to make sure that it performs better on year two or year three than it ever did on launch day. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're going to get a ton into webs- websites. I love websites. They're they're the front lines for marketers or, you know, for B2B, they're your most important asset, arguably. Um, so we're going to talk a bunch of website stuff. How many, would you say, like marketers are you working with versus like, versus developers, people like that? Like who owns the website when you're, when you're kind of working with someone? Yeah, that's a great question. And we've seen a shift in the market over the last five years that the website has become a marketing decision more, of an, more than an IT decision. And what we see now is that it's the marketers that have an overwhelming amount of tools to work with. So I would say that 80% of our clients tend to be director of marketers, CMOs. And what happens is, is they come to us and they say, okay, we, read, we need a real specialist to make sure that our website works. We need to take, you know, making sure that not only are we getting leads, but we're getting qualified leads and we're moving them through the sales funnel as fast as possible. So really what we find is it's definitely become much more of a marketing tool than an IT tool. We still find like the IT manager or the IT director or CTO is a decision maker in the process. But on the general, our poor marketers are saddled with so many things. Um, but the website definitely has become their main tool that they get to play with. Yeah. So where, where, what inning are we in, in terms of like website development, uh, in terms of how marketers are using them? And, uh, and, and kind of like what's coming. Yeah, we really see a big focus for marketers to go beyond brochureware and really focus on building stories on the web. We feel that there's so much, so many avenues to be able to kind of integrate different campaigns, but almost every single marketing campaign drives folks back to the website. And with that, it's so important to not only identify your kind of your key target and making sure that they can move along those user pathways, but also help them, you know, make your content relatable. We really love storytelling. And it's so funny how many clients come to us and say, we need a more storytelling focused website. And when I ask them, well, what does that mean to you? They're like, I don't know, we'll tell more stories. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's get clear on what that means, which is often digging into the kind of that 360 view of your persona totally. and figuring out what are those pain points that you need to solve for and how can your website develop the right content, the right features, components to it that kind of create that clarity to help that user see themselves as the hero and that the organization is the guide that will help get them to their successful end. Totally. And, you know, I think that so many people, uh, to your point, you know, back in the day where marketing didn't own the website, uh, I think a lot of our listeners probably listen to this and, you know, especially um, on the B2B side and they're like, of, of course, you know, our team owns the website in terms of the design, the, you know, user journeys, the, the 
you know, the lead gen funnels, all those pieces of it, um, you know, the content that's put on it, you know, really a lot of places are like that. But there's also a lot of places where that isn't the case. Do you work with those sort of folks? Honestly, we do. We definitely see that it's more of the marketer feeling frustrated that they can't edit their site, that they can't get features developed fast enough, that even though the marketer still may own the website, they still rely on the technologist to do some of the work to get their strategies and campaigns online. So very often we have a lot of CMOs or director of marketers that come and they're like, I hate my website. I'm frustrated. I don't like chasing around my team members. My, you know, my agency partners, I always have to project manage them. You know, I'm always looking like I have egg on my face because I want to do these big things. I've got these aggressive KPIs that I have to hit, but I'm still reliant on a technologist to be able to facilitate a lot of the solutioning. So that's where I feel like there's kind of that need in the market. And that's where Canopy's really found our niche is to help those marketers get stuff done as fast as possible as efficiently as possible, and really measuring what matters to show the impact of the work that we're doing together. And ultimately, you know, making the marketers look good because they've got so much on their plate. And, you know, knowing we need to be in that partnership, that even though it is in the marketer's hands, they often are still reliant on a partner to be able to implement those solutions. We really want to teach our marketers to fish as well. We want to, you know, get them a CMS or a tool that they can easily spin up landing pages, they can easily get in there and edit their content on the fly without having to rely, rely on a developer. So, you know, in so many ways, we see a lot of our marketers, like they actually don't really enjoy working on their website. So that's where we find that over the course of working together for the first three, six months, when all of a sudden we're sitting down and they're like, wow, I'm finally in the Ferrari I was promised as a website. And they're able to, you know, hit their KPIs and set new campaigns with so much ease. That's what brings us so much joy is we're like, oh, yay, they're doing it. That's great. And they're actually finding their website to become like a place of joy for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's the biggest problem, right? Is like, if you have legacy systems or legacy technology or just infrastructure that is not light and flexible, sure, not fun to be a marketer, right? Not fun to launch a campaign. Uh, you're, you're spending more time working on the nuts and bolts than you are actually doing the creative portion that's going to, you know, get people interested in your products and services or to tell a story, right? We just want that stuff to work and we want it to be seamless and we want the user experience to be experience to be seam, seamless. I know you spend a lot of time in design, doing UX, UI, uh, looking at all those things, working with programmers and, and developers to create, you know, amazing stuff. How much of, of the, uh, the art to the science is important here as you're, as you're building for folks? For sure. Uh, beauty will always happen when it works. Because I find if you build a beautiful site, and we see a lot of agencies do this, you build these beautiful sites, they launch it, and it doesn't work. So we really like to focus on really making data-informed decisions. So right out of the gate, when we have the opportunity either to start from with the ground up or we're you know, working on an existing code base, we really want to figure out what that user journey is and what are those kind of KPIs that marketer or those, those, that organization needs to hit. And often what it comes down to is we need to solve some type of business problem. Uh, we recently had a client, a B2B software as a service client come to us and say, you know, we've, we just don't have 
the quality of leads that are coming in. We're getting leads, but they're spinning our salespeople's wheels and they're wasting their time. And as a result, we're not closing enough business. So we took it right back and we said, okay, well, let's, you know, talk to some of your current recent customers that you've engaged with. Let's talk to some of your old school clients you've had for a long time. And let's figure out what was the decision journey they went on to actually become a client of yours and to, to choose your software. And with that information in hand, we were then able to go back to the website and change some of the copy on some of the key landing pages, change some of the pathways where people were getting stuck, create more opportunities for soft conversions, whether that was, um, you know, we had a little, it was like a data, it was a data software as a service type client, and they had a little app or a little widget that the user could kind of self-select whether they were ready to talk to a salesperson or if they were just simply needed to become kind of, you know, a more marketing qualified lead and they needed more warming up. Because that was ultimately the problem is they had too many people clicking on the request a demo, contact us button that really weren't ready or weren't qualified. So we did a bunch of work to just kind of really identify what were the key elements of the decision journey, trying to produce more of that content digitally that doesn't require humans to self-qualify and warm up those potential leads before they actually hit that demo button and before they hit the contact us button. And within three months, we were able to really, you know, turn the website around with some minor elements. And while doing that, because we were already touching it, we got to then elevate the design at the same time because some of those elements required a reskin. So during that time, we were able to add more custom animations or custom elements that really elevated the design at the same time. So, you know, to answer your question, we could have gone in and just made the website a lot more beautiful, but it really wouldn't have solved that underlying problem. So for us, it comes back to let's be some, let's get very data focused and figure out what those components are. And then it becomes a very easy picture to paint. And the, you know, the beauty kind of follows that and it, and it works. So then the stakeholders and the sales team are really stoked because they're getting quality leads and that ultimately drives more success and more investment into beautifying the website on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So I, um, and actually we've, we've had them on, on the show multiple times, uh, in the past, but so Craig Swenzer, the CEO, uh, of qualify.com, uh, and I'm an, I'm an advisor to their company and they're just awesome people. You know, we talk all the time about conversational marketing and like, you know, if someone comes to your website, you know, let's say the, the CMO of, of some, you know, Fortune 500 company comes to Canopy's website, do you know that they're there? How are you going to talk to them? Right. And so like, if that person, if that CMO had walked into, you know, your, your company headquarters and was walking around you know, would, would someone talk to them? Would they get them, you know, a, a, a glass of water and a cup of coffee and, and sit down and chat with them? And how would you have that conversation? And I think that that's kind of what's, what's missing for a lot of companies' websites is that they don't have anything that's connected to who the person is. Why should, why are they on your website? And what mindset are they in? Um, what are the, what's the information that they're searching for? Are they just, you know, do they want to cruise around anonymously or, or do they want to do something? And if they're in a buying mindset, well, let's, let's get them all that stuff right now. Let's get them case studies right now. Let's get them to talk to a salesperson right now. And I think conversational marketing is like, so obviously the future of websites and, uh, and marketing. And it's, it's almost like I, I you know, if you're not investing in that stuff, it's, uh, it's going to be, 
uh, it's going to be way less advantageous for you to, uh, you know, to, to, to exist. And then, you know, it's just, it, it has to happen. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So often we see folks come to us and they're like, we need more leads or we need to convert this, or, you know, they have these specific goals. And when we look at the whole kind of customer decision journey, they have a lot of content that's, you know, decision stage, consideration stage. And that's wonderful. That'll help them convert eventually. But, you know, just like if you were to meet someone, like you mentioned, someone comes into your office, even meeting someone at a conference back in the day when we got to go to conferences, you'd be in the lunch line, right? And you'd be like, hi, my name's Anne. Who are you? What do you do? Are you getting salad or fries? And you kind of have that conversation. And it's always about like connect, communicate, and then convert. And I see so many websites, they're really just trying to connect and convert. And they forget about that middle section of having a conversation. And that's why it's such an important part of your website when we do these initial, we do them, we're called, we call them website growth plans, where we can help someone in a very small bite, take a look at their website, come up with a game plan, and then implement on a, you know, on a weekly, quarterly basis to achieve their goals. And nine times out of 10, we're missing those conversational pieces. We're missing those opportunities to dialogue. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to put a chat widget in and that's going to solve all my problems. Well, let's have a chat widget, leverage some smart AI that's actually going to help guide the user to have the conversation, warm them up, get them on a certain list. So then you can, you know, do more personalized experiences and kind of, again, have those conversations. And whether they're, like you said, they're in a buying mode, let's get them to where they need to go. But more often than not, people need to kind of explore the brand, explore the solutions, explore what you're offering before they're even really ready to give you their email to then become part of, you know, the whole marketing funnel. So I love that you talk about that a lot because I feel like that's a huge area for any type of brand is to really focus on the conversation and some of the social listening that will help drive what they should be putting on their, on their website and other platforms to drive that. Well, totally. I mean, you think about how much work we put into our blogs, right? Like so much effort and emphasis to create amazing stuff for our blogs, right? And where does that live on your site, right? Is there, I mean, you could probably heat map, you know, a company's website and, and get the number of people that go to a website and then go to click on somebody's blog, right? It's like gotta be close to zero, right? Nobody's just like, oh, I wonder what's going on on, you know, whoever's blog today, the, the Michelin blog. Um, like it's just, it's not, it's not happening, but that's a hugely important part of your website. So how do you, how do you figure out and store and surface that content? You know, how do you think about, you know, what are the assets that people would want to go into and how do you, uh, how do you change the website in real time to based off of who's, who's visiting? Um, and that's something that, I mean, We've talked to some guests on the show about that, but it seems like that's an obvious focus for 2021 and beyond is having the website be personalized to the visitor that's that's there. Yeah. I always think you want to creep without being creepy, right? Like the, the user wants to be guided. They want to make, they want it to be easy. And often they won't come in through your main website front door. They won't hit your homepage. If you have really good search engine optimization, then your blogs should be pulling in people just from searching from their problems. So if they're searching for the solution, you want to have those blog articles really rich and ready for folks that are ready to kind of just find you and become aware of you. And that blog, often that blog article becomes the front door to which then you can guide them to other sections. 
Because you're right. When we look at heat maps, we don't see people like going to the blog, finding an article and then converting. It's really having that content there that becomes the front door that then they're like, oh, this is the problem exactly that I'm having. Interesting. Here's some ways to solve it. Interesting. Oh, I want to learn more about that. Oh, there's a white paper. Oh, I'm interested. Right. So it kind of like those pieces of content, knowing that we can kind of start guiding them and then knowing if they've come with intent they're more likely to convert. So if you can find a way to kind of really hone into what people are searching for and getting them to the right place at the right time, uh, it, they will convert with the right pathway of, of data, you know, with the right pathway of content laid out in front of them. So what are some of the common mistakes when you're doing those assessments, when you sit down with a new client, um, what are some of the mistakes that, that you see uh, on the website? And is it the wrong button colors? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, what are some of those mistakes? So a common one we see is people still love carousels and we don't understand why because they're really ineffective. Carousels essentially are often misleading. People put random things in the carousel, which then doesn't really make sense for the end user. We also see an overuse of large hero images. A lot of people just straight up don't scroll. You'd be shocked when they say above, put it above the fold. That really matters. And a lot of folks put in these huge hero images, and then you have to scroll down to get to any CTA or call to action. So those are kind of two common things that we see right out of the gate. And, you know, again, some of it comes back to content where we just see gaps in content where there's this full user journey and we know we need to provide different types of content depending on their mindset. If a user comes to you, they have that you know, oh, I have a problem. You may be able to solve it. Then they go to consideration phase where they're considering you versus a different, you know, piece of software or whatnot. And then there's the decision-making stage where they're ready to take action and have a whole other slew of questions. And then they become, you know, brand advocates and into the customer journey. And often we find those, you know, there's a huge content gap. And with, you know, a quarter's worth of conscious effort towards either building out more SEO rich content or building out more conversational content, those two things can really make a big impact on a website and and really cost-effectively, right? You don't need to rebuild your whole website. You can start with just content strategy and make a huge difference in, in your bottom line. Another thing is a lot of people have treated mobile as a place where you just stack things or, oh, we're just gonna have a mobile website. I'm gonna stack all the things that were on my desktop and just run with it. But the reality is, is that the mobile experience needs to be a very conscious experience that folks that are coming on mobile are going to need different things than if they're on desktop. And it's about really identifying those user journeys and figuring out, you know, where to put things. And another one, I have all these things. Um, Another one is search is highly underutilized. There's a common fact that people are 200% more likely to convert when they come and they use a search. And very often Ooh. we see people either not having a search or, and I'll send you a link to the, to the post where I got that stat from because I love it. People either don't have a search on their website, they're using a Google search, which is just awful for performance and many other reasons, or they're leaving different opportunities, like they're losing opportunities because if they're coming to search, you'll want to have you know specific articles that show up, but you can also put you know different CTAs or different avenues for people to go right from the search landing page. And we find that's a huge missed opportunity that folks can leverage search. And with Google Search Console, you can go in 
in Google Analytics and look at what people are already searching on your website and start, you know, logging those searches. And you're going to get a wealth of data of what kind of content you need to create right out of the gate. I love that. That's great. More tips. Keep them coming. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, carousel couldn't agree more. I, they're so silly. Yeah, it's it's just and also like they they move in a way that makes no sense. The large hero. It's a great point. Um, it's either going to get scrolled by super fast, or it's like you said, people are never going to scroll, so that makes sense. Mobile stacking is interesting. I hadn't heard that one. I don't. What, what's the alternative there? It's to really kind of think of the needs of mobile devices. Like for example, we work with a, a park. Uh, we we do some nonprofit work as well, so it's a park and. With a bit of data, and this is pre-pandemic, it was that over 50% of the daily traffic that's coming to the website is looking for what's happening today. Like right now, what events, what's the weather, can I bring my dog? You know, there's a bunch of things that were happening that weren't happening on mobile or weren't happening on desktop, pardon me. So it was really positioning that key today content right at the top of the website creating a pathway in addition to the main menu navigation, creating another pathway for folks to be able to identify and get that information right away. So often it's like people that are cruising the parks website on desktop are planning for their trip. They're looking at where would I go? They want to download a map. They want to, you know, check out where the gift store is. Um, This same park, another experience is that when they're in the parks and they're there, Part of the mobile experience is is they will hit a sign and they said, if you love experiencing the parks, please donate now. They provide a QR code. The user can quickly just pick up their phone, click on their picture app, open the QR code and get sent to a very intentional donation page that's specifically about that one park. I'm speaking about the Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy in the Bay Area because they have multiple parks. So they want to drive folks that when they hit that donate page, then it also guides them to the gift store where they can virtually purchase a gift or a souvenir without actually having to visit the gift store, which could then be auto shipped right to their home. That's not important on desktop at all, right? You're not carrying your laptop around the park and then purchasing stuff at their gift store. So it was a really intentional mobile experience where you know people have their phones all the time. You know, Can they get engaged with your brand? Can they find ways to either donate, buy things, give back, explore just from like leveraging the technologies of your phone? And that's way more than just like stacking the donation page or stacking the store page to make it mobile friendly. That's really cool. I love that. That's a great use case. And and I love Golden Gate Park. So you mentioned search. Uh, I love the 200% more likely to convert. That's great. So you said that people just kind of throw Google search on their page and that that's not necessarily best practice? That's right. Yeah. So Google, the Google search widget, you can use it, but it's a performance killer. A lot of websites that we see using that widget, their site is really slow to load. And I think um, it's something like if your site loads in, in less than or in more than three seconds, a user will just leave. And if it takes more than seven seconds to load, they will never come back to your website. Performance is so important, not only for the user experience, but also for Google. Google, you know, likes a site that goes fast. So ironically, if you add this Google search widget, it slows down the website. So it's not great for performance. It also, you don't have much control over the search results. You can't 
design them. You can't impact their weighting. You can't add additional CTAs. So the best thing to do is actually, you know, work to build out a very robust search that can leverage, you know, tags where you can filter and sort content, or perhaps you want to weight content where if, you know, someone is searching for something, you can make sure a certain article comes up first, or even you can design in, you know, a brightly, you know, fancy colored um, search result that drives the eyes to be able to choose that one. So ultimately, if you can spend some time and money on creating a more customized search, it ultimately is a really quick way to impact conversions because again, those that search are more likely to convert. So that's a great place to kind of start on improving your website just in that one area. My next question was about speed and you already jumped on it, which is great. So seven seconds, they never come back. Three seconds, they're leaving. How do you, how do you make your website faster? A few things. Work with a reputable hosting company. If you're going to spend good money on your website and you've got you know good money heading towards your campaigns, don't cheap out on hosting. Work with a good hosting company. There's lots out there. Um, if you're on Drupal and WordPress, I have some specific amazing recommendations. But the reality is, is that the hosting provider can add on a different performance layer right on the server that allows your site to go faster. Another great way to impact performance is is image size. And this is something we see a lot, is that somebody has downloaded or purchased an image from iStock, or even they've taken one on their their iPhone. Nowadays, iPhone pictures are massive. And what happens is, is they just upload them directly to the website. So huge images are super poor for performance. So you want to make sure that when you're uploading your images, they're really optimized for the web or you have like a plugin or a a module that will resize those images for you and make them very web friendly. There's also some design trends that are out there that kill performance. Like there's this trend that is called parallax where like the background of the website moves just that. It's like a trend. It's a fad. It doesn't necessarily add anything to the user journey, and it often kills performance. We're seeing one of the biggest trends still from 2020 into 2021 being this minimalist design, right? Like Helvetica and black and white and really clean, simple designs. So kind of getting away from those fancy animations that don't really add to the user journey or add to your, you know, the actual reality of what you need is just get rid of all of that. Just focus on keeping things nice and clean and simple because just, you know, making sure you're on a good hosting provider, having good image sizes and getting away from, you know, extraneous kind of, you know, animations will save you a ton of time in terms of optimizing your, your website. What about putting videos? You know what? Videos aren't bad because if you leverage YouTube or Vimeo or any of these tools, You're actually increasing your SEO rankings because you're playing nicely with the other social media tools. You're getting onto all of your different channels and you're not pushing the bandwidth onto the site. So as long as you're not trying to host the videos yourself on your webpage, you're totally cool to use, you know, YouTube and embed those videos and it won't hit your performance at all. That's another good one. I like that. What about form fills? We've, we've had, we had Latney on from Sixth Sense no forms, no uh, cold calls, all that stuff. I, I, I loathe forms. I think they're a horrible scourge that needs to be expunged in most cases. Talk to me about form fills. 
I am so curious of this movement of no forms, right? I've, I've definitely heard this and we have some of our marketers really, really wanting to push the envelope with getting away from forms. And I think a lot of that is using smart, uh, using a smart CRM and using more, yeah. if you have a journey mapping tool or having a more, per, you know, a personalization engine that will facilitate some of this work. But in the end, less is more. You know, I had a client that wanted to launch a website and it had, they had like 84 fields to fill out this profile. And I thought, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this to the user. You will not get what you're looking for. Lo and behold, they were, they were stuck on, they had to have all these fields. They really wanted to put the profile picture first. And we said, we don't recommend, we don't recommend. And this is, you know, five or six years ago, even then, and they launched and they just weren't getting folks to fill out this form. It was a caregiver's website and they were trying to get new folks to sign up to do caregiving. And based on the launch and how poorly that went, they said, okay, get in there, do whatever you want. We need to get this bench better. So we cut their like 80 fields down to five key fields they need. And we actually put the profile picture as last because we recognize that people are very self-conscious and they don't want that to be the first step. The first step is just capture the email, press next. And then if they can, if they abandon right there, at least you have their email and you can continue the conversation to warm them back up and get them back to the site. But for us, it's less is more. Totally. And can you do more? You know, can you do like, do you, do you need their last name? Do you need their industry? Do you need all this out of the gate? Like the less they have to give you, the easier it's going to be able to get the information. And then as they revisit your site, you can continue to ask for a bit and a bit more. Um, totally agree. That's a great, great point with the form fill of putting, don't put the hard information first and, uh, and, and really don't even, don't even ask for it the first time around. You just don't need to spend, I mean, if you're a B2B company, if you're a sales driven company, uh, or even if you're not, if you're a B2B company, that's, that has a, um, you know, a sales free motion, it does not matter. Like you don't need all of that stuff right away. Like if they're going to come back, if you're in the consideration phase, if they're looking at other stuff, you know, once they've looked at three different case studies, you're probably in the clear to try to start a sales conversation with that person. But like, you know, pre-vetting them to, uh, you know, based off of their company size and, you know, do they, do they have a, you know, does their castle have a dungeon? Like you just don't, you don't need to do it all. You don't need to do it. And as we work with a lot of B2B marketers and so many of those customers are making decisions before they ever fill out a form. So that's where, again, it comes down to smart content strategy and, you know, really positioning that customer as the hero and you as the guy that's going to take them to their successful end versus, you know, putting a form in front of them every step of the way. It's just a turnoff. You know, I see so many people that you visit their website and the first thing is you get this full screen pop up asking for all this information. I'm like, I don't even know you. Who are you? Like, I don't want to fill out your form. And it's like, just, I don't even X off the form. I X off the whole page and I go to the next search result. So I think there's a lot that can be done where, you know, again, we're having that conversation first and it's profiling the client just by, you know, using a smart CRM. You can see where people visit on the page if they've given you your email and dropped a cookie. And then you can pre present more intelligent content for them. I also think there's something about inclusivity that needs to be mentioned here too, because you know, we are really focused um, overall, I think, in this world, especially in, in 2020 with the Black Lives Movement coming out. Like, it's, this is really important. It's not optional anymore. And providing an inclusive form is also really important. 
So if you are going to get to that point where you are asking for demographic information, instead of just saying, you know, male, female, you could say, you know, her, him, they, them, other. You could also, if you're asking for, you know, are you single or married? You could say, you know, single, married, in partnership. You know, there's ways that you can actually create more inclusivity just by the fields that you're asking for. But again, like you said, that's much later. That's definitely not the first step when it comes to getting people to convert. Yeah. You know, we had, we did an awesome episode a little while back about inclusivity and access. Like accessibility is like a huge part of this. Like so many people don't have accessible websites. They haven't really thought about it. You know, we deal with this a lot with podcasts. You know, so many people don't uh, have other resources for that and like, you know, again, this is, uh, I think it's pretty non-negotiable now and I pretty unacceptable that so many people will spend X amount of dollars building their website and not make it accessible or not make it inclusive. Like it's, it's not right, but it's also bad business. So you don't, you don't need a reason beyond that. It's not right, but, but it's also bad business. Totally. We find a lot of our marketers like, okay, just make sure I don't get sued. It's like, okay, that's cool. We can do that. But we're also going to train you how to write inclusive storytelling. You know, we're going to train you how to make sure that the language that you use on your website is inclusive because the technology itself is when you're uploading an image, it's just simply instead of naming it like, you know, 123.jpg, you could put like mom and child on the swing at the park and just putting the image title into, you know, putting the image with the proper title and then uploading it allow screen readers, screen readers, screen readers to actually view the image name and have more context to which story that you're telling. So a lot of it's a very easy, low touch experience where it's up to the content manager, the marketer to actually just name things as they are, keep things simple, keep jargon free websites. And that in itself will go a long way to make your website more inclusive. What about microsites and other similar type pages and things like that? Use them. They're great. I think there's a lot of power in a landing page. And uh, again, it really needs to support the user journey. But if you if you are driving a campaign and you want people just to focus, using like a landing page that has a simplified no header, no footer, and you're just driving them to convert and act, th- those are excellent. Um, and when it comes to microsites, the biggest thing is you want to just manage is your technical debt. You don't want to spend, you know, $50,000 on a microsite that you're going to throw away right away. You want to figure out kind of with intention of, you know, what is this site for? Is it going to be used for the long term? Can I create a template engine out of this? Um, There's this movement for these no code websites where people Mm -hmm. can just marketers can easily spin up a landing page or a website. And I think like, you know, as long as it fits within kind of the customer journey and it's really focused on, you know, on achieving goals. I think they're, you know, go for it with the power of the content management systems that are out there. You know, the marketer really has no limits except for what technology, what the technical limits are. So I'm a big fan of leveraging them in the right places and then knowing how to kind of manage your technical debt. So you don't end up with 50 microsites, then you need to do security updates on every month because that might not be a good strategy. You might want to think about using kind of a templating engine so you can quickly and easily spin stuff up, but have one master code base so you don't have to worry about all those security updates on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And does, do you lose, I mean, how much, how much juice are you going to lose from an SEO perspective um, by 
dropping that stuff on a different domain or things like that? Like, what do you think um, about those things? Should, should you keep it all on your main site or off of your main site? It all kind of depends on your objectives. Um, I think Google's pretty smart these days and their algorithms are pretty wicked smart. So as long as you're writing intelligent content, there is something to be said that if you're going to run a campaign and do a ton of outbound efforts and a ton of emailing, you may actually want to set up a subdomain so it doesn't hurt your domain authority if you get kind of hit for, if you get flagged with a lot of spam, like people mark you as spam. Um, you don't want to hurt your main domain if you're kind of aggressively doing an outbound campaign with with that. But ultimately, you know, you really want to think about um, kind of that bigger intentionality around your SEO strategy and making sure that whatever you're doing, you know, ultimately gives you more juice than takes away from it. Like you don't want to, you know, create all of this blog content on a subdomain that's not really connected to your domain and then drive people back to your website. You'll want to have your blog on your main domain and make sure that's all well optimized. So you mentioned a few trends. Uh, what's one or, or a couple more that you're looking at for, for next year that you're excited about for, uh, for websites? Uh, there's a lot of fun things that are coming out. And I think one of the things like we've already talked about, it's kind of, it's cool to be accessible now right? Like you want to have that strong color contrast. You want to have focus indicators, like little rectangular outlines. Starbucks does an amazing job with their accessibility. If you want to learn about accessibility, turn on your screen reader and visit Starbucks and then go and visit your own website and you'll realize what a hot mess your website is. So there's so many things that it's kind of, it's cool to be accessible and it's cool to be inclusive, right? You want to think about what kind of images you're choosing, your forms, all that stuff. We also see this interesting movement towards dark mode, right? We see brands actually providing the toggle on their website to create a dark mode experience, which you can control through your browser, but you ultimately can't control the website CSS or content or images. So having websites that we're actually seeing where the, the user can flip to dark mode it's really cool because it allows the users to say, whoa, now it's white, now it's dark. Oh, look at this. And the design often really, I hate to use the word pops, but there is ways that when you're leveraging black and white as your kind of background colors, that you can really focus on coming your core, core elements. And in minimalism, we see lots of sites that are really stripping it down to the basics, making it really clean and easy to navigate. And at the same time, we have like our designers are really passionate right now about kind of breaking the grid. Like, does it have to be this three column layout? Can we do some collages? Can we have overlapping photos? Can we even leverage some like clashing colors? You know, what can we do to kind of stand out a little bit more? So I feel when it comes to kind of design, we're definitely going into that minimize to maximize approach as we head into the new year. And when it comes to kind of content, I feel like above and beyond inclusivity is that people are looking for authenticity. I feel like now more than ever after 2020, it's, it's about authentic content and building trust. So knowing what you stand for just as well as what you don't stand for and being very vocal about that, I think is a great way that we're going to see more and more sites carve out more market share by being authentic. And I mean, AI, it's here for better or worse. So, you know, people value the human connection, of course, but, and so that's why you need to be mindful about how you kind of apply the artificial intelligence. 
But technology choices are becoming so rich that as the cost of those tech choices come down, that more and more marketers are going to be able to get their hands on personalization engines. It's going to be more effective retargeting on their ads. Chatbots are going to just become way more skillful in terms of the information they present. So I'm very curious over the next year or two, kind of where that, you know, AI is going to start layering into the web experience and beyond. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing in the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce lightning round questions. And are you ready? I'm ready. Well, and we got to do these lightning fast because I got to go adjust the hero image on my website here in the next little bit. Uh, much too big. Got to got to make sure everything's above the fold. Um, okay, lightning round questions. Number one, you're from Canada. What is the best Canadian food and why is it poutine? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, goodness. You know, it's funny because Canadians think or Americans, all the people think that we love poutine. But I have to say that salmon, smoked salmon specifically, is probably just absolutely amazing here on the West Coast when you get it fresh and enjoy it. So I think the salmon might just take the cake over the poutine. OK, that's a that's a that's a good point. You uh, you go between uh, San Francisco, Canada and Costa Rica. A lot of canopies, I'd imagine, in Costa Rica, but kind of a lot in San Francisco and, and Canada as well. Uh, how do you how do you manage the uh, the different types of travel between between those spots? Mostly, I love the technology has enabled us. We're fully remote, so I find that as long as I have a laptop or a phone, I'm able to work from wherever we are. And often, it's just jumping on a plane and and getting there. Um, getting down to Costa Rica is often meaning that you I get a four by four vehicle and we drive up to the jungle. And once we get to the jungle, fortunately at the treehouse, we do have Wi-Fi. So it's a pretty unique situation down there where we can still be off the grid and connect to the world. We do you actually have, or do you go to a treehouse in Costa Rica? Yes. Oh, that's yep. incredible. What's it, what's the, uh, what's the layout? How's it, how I've, I don't think I've ever stayed in a treehouse. So it's an intentional treehouse community, and there's about 350 acres in the jungle. About 100 of those acres is being developed for uh, micro houses that are off the grid. And it's essentially kind of those tiny luxury micro homes in the trees. There's about 16 tree houses, and the whole community is interconnected by a series of trails, zip lines, and um, it's really focused on having a minimalistic impact on the jungle and kind of coexisting there. So it's a beautiful, beautiful community of people that live there. That's incredible. Wow. So cool. What a place. So do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've been checking out recently? Well, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I love her work. I feel like it's operationalized a lot of trust and vulnerability in our workspace, which ultimately has allowed my employees to flourish. So if you haven't read anything of Brene Brown, I think it's just so cool. Uh, another author I love is um, Mike Michalowicz. He wrote a book called Profit First and Fix This Next. And I, I love his podcast because he's hilarious and super informative at helping entrepreneurs kind of continue to make their business more profitable and, and fun. If you weren't running Canopy, if you're doing something else entirely, 
What do you think you'd be doing? I think this is a silly one because I love decorating cakes. Like, I don't know what it is. I love watching those shows on social and, you know, watching them make these beautiful cakes. I think I would probably be like a professional bakery person that would just make cakes all the, all the time. I think that would be super fun. Best advice for a first-time CEO? It's a marathon, not a sprint. And make sure that you take care of yourself and get in proper sleep and exercise because that will serve you well over the long term. Wonderful. Well, Anne, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much uh, for joining. Any uh, final thoughts? Anything to plug? Obviously, our listeners check out uh, canopy.com. We'll link it up in the show notes here. Um, Yeah. Final thoughts? Fantastic. No, definitely always willing to carry on the conversation. So if you wanted to find me on LinkedIn, you're welcome. And just let me know where you've heard about me from. Because as we all know, as marketers, we're getting spammed on LinkedIn like mad. But I'd love to continue the conversation. So find me there and we can chat about anything website. I'm always happy to help. Awesome. Thanks again for joining and uh, take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.